The Public Servants Alliance of Canada, or PSAC, has reached an agreement with the federal government, ending the national strike that disrupted services for Canadians for nearly two weeks. Former Ontario Progressive Conservative MPP and federal Conservative leadership candidate Roman Babber announced that he will seek the Conservative nomination in the Toronto area riding of York Centre. The U.S. government is asking the Trudeau government to reimpose visa requirements for Mexican nationals visiting Canada following a sharp increase in illegal crossings from Canada into the U.S. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith is chastising the Alberta NDP leader over attempts to criticize the government on its its new Calgary Arena announcement. Hello Canada, it's Wednesday, April 26th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Rachel Emanuel. And I'm Andrew Lawton. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. The Public Servants Alliance of Canada, or PSAC, has reached a tentative contract agreement with the federal government ending the two-week strike that disrupted a number of federal services that Canadians relied on. On Monday, PSAC announced that it had reached an agreement for more than 120,000 Treasury Board workers. The union says these workers will return to work on Monday, or their next scheduled shift after that date. According to the union, the contract includes a 12% wage increase over four years. On remote work, the union says managers will have to negotiate requests individually, and will have to provide written responses to those requests. However, as Canadians await their tax returns, the PSAC strike continues for more than 35,000 Canada Revenue Agency workers. Since the strike began on April 19th, Canadians have experienced delays to many public services, such as renewing a passport, filing taxes, issuing licenses, certification, and benefit requests. Striking public workers protested in strategic locations, with the aim of disrupting the government and the Canadian economy. Protesters set up a picket line near the Ambassador Bridge, caused delays at Pearson Airport in Toronto, and set up tables and tents on city property, including the Prime Minister's office. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation heavily criticized the demands made by PSAC, saying federal employees are, quote, out of touch, unquote, and are asking too much, while Canadians are struggling to make ends meet. So, Andrew, this is good news for Canadians that were waiting to get some work done from these services. We know that PSAC had previously demanded a 13.5% increase over three years, and the federal government had in turn offered 9%. So they've landed in the middle at 12% over four years. The strike only went on for two weeks. Do you think this is pretty typical for a federal government and union negotiation? Or do you think this is setting a bad precedent where unions know that they can simply go on strike and they'll be awarded with a raise? Well, the purpose of a strike is to hold out to get something better than what you were originally going to get. So in the grand scheme of things, whether it's a public sector strike or a public sector strike, yeah, this is kind of what you'd expect. But the difference here is that we're not just talking about a private company's money. We're talking about the government's money, which, as we all know, is actually the taxpayer's money. And I still think that, well, I'm not necessarily surprised by the outcome, Canadians who are looking at the rising cost of living around them, seeing that they're not getting getting raises at their jobs are looking at public servants seeing a 12% increase over the next four years that they are the ones who have to subsidize. And that's going to sting for a lot of people. That's absolutely correct. And I suspect a lot of Canadians are feeling frustrated. They've likely gone to their employer and asked for a raise. Everyone's struggling with the rising cost of inflation. 
but they've likely been told just to buckle down and wait for a little while longer. And I think that's what most Canadians are doing. We're seeing Canadians make sacrifices all across the board. Now, the one thing about this story that I think is really interesting, and I'm genuinely surprised at the lack of media attention that it has received, is the way that PSAC went about the strike. They said they were striking in strategic locations to disrupt the government and the Canadian economy. And it worked. We know that there was delays at many locations. And now these employees in response have been awarded with a 12% raise over four years. So that seems pretty incredulous to me. We've often made the comparison to how Freedom Convoy protesters were treated. What's your take? Yes, and, and even calling them protesters, people actually get mad at and say, no, they're not protesters, they're pickets, they're strikers. It's it's totally different. But at its core, a protest is uh, some form of action to yield some response from someone, be it government or otherwise. So striking is, I would argue, a form of protest. Not all protests are strikes, but all strikes are protests. And the double standards were still very apparent. And as we saw the... the uh, capitulation eventually from the government, it reinforces that uh, perhaps they could have had a result to the Freedom Convoy that didn't involve the Emergencies Act if they had met them in the middle, if they had had a conversation. And that still is lost on the Liberals, who decided to vilify and malign more than engage and discuss. Roman Babber hopes to become a federal conservative member of parliament. The former conservative leadership candidate will seek the federal Tory nomination in the Toronto riding of York Centre to be the candidate who tries to unseat the current liberal MP, Yara Sachs, in the next federal election. Yara Sachs is the MP who said that Hong Kong is a stand-in for Heil Hitler, for those keeping score at home. Babber finished second to last in the 2022 federal conservative leadership race before which he was a member of Ontario's provincial parliament, well known for opposing Doug Ford's COVID lockdowns. He was elected in 2018 as a PC MPP, but was booted from caucus because he had the temerity to criticize lockdowns and mandates. Uh, but now he is wanting to be back into the official conservative fold. Babber says, quote, I'm very bullish on Pierre Polyev and I cannot wait for the next general election to form a conservative government that will address the cost of living and restore Canada's democracy. The Conservative Party has not yet called the nomination race in York Centre. I, I think this is a, a bit of a happy story that he's doing it. Here's a guy who, uh, whatever you think of him, was a legitimate representative representing the will of his constituents and was made a pariah by that. So I think the fact that he ran for the leadership of the Conservatives is now seeking a Conservative nomination proves that he's not as fringe as Doug Ford and company tried to pretend. Absolutely, and arguably the federal conservative party led by Pierre Polyev seems to be a fair bit more conservative than Doug Ford's progressive conservatives in Ontario. They certainly have seemed to move to the center over the past number of years since he's been in power. Not really that same populist sentiments that he ran on when he was first elected. I always kind of wonder for people like Roman Babber, like, what do you do? He doesn't have a seat in the Ontario legislature. He doesn't yet have a seat in the House of Commons. He ran, but he didn't play significantly in the federal conservative party leadership race. And so I'm always like, what do you do now? You've kind of given up so much of your life towards, you know, political aspirations. And so this is, it is a good, it is a feel good news story. You're right on that. And I actually think he has a shot. I don't know how good the shot is, but when we look at the numbers from the 2021 Canadian federal election, the Liberal candidate actually won by just under 10% of the vote. So Roman Babber is now coming in. He, ha he has a bit more credibility to his name, and he's also a bit more well-known. So that could swing in his favor. 
the election before that, in a by-election in 2020, the candidate, the liberal candidate actually won by less than 5%. So it has been a conservative riding in the past. In the past number of years, we've seen it trend, you know, voting more liberal. But as I mentioned, Babber is a little bit more well-known and that could bode well for him in the next federal election, whenever that will be. Yeah, I think you're right to point that out. And, and I would also add that he is, by all accounts, a, a hard worker. And my question here is, is, what does he stand for when you take COVID out of the equation? And that's not a, a criticism by any stretch, but that's been the issue by which he's become known to much of the conservative movement in the country. And if you take that out of the equation, I think a lot of people will probably go, and I, I hope if they're interested in politics, ask some questions about, okay, we know where you stand on lockdowns and vaccine mandates and, and some of these other things. Where do you stand on on X, Y, and Z. And I, I will say to his credit, he did come out against supply management in the uh, leadership race, which was quite a bold move for conservatives. Do you have any uh, predictions on, on this, on where he's going to go? You just mentioned that he was a hard worker. I think it will really depend on if he can get out there and if he can sway people. He spent a lot of time in Alberta in the federal conservative leadership race. And I went to a couple of his events and he's a very likable guy. You know, he didn't pull the biggest crowd, certainly not the crowds that we saw Pierre Polyev pull, but that's to be expected. He's less well known. He's more of a figure in Ontario at this point, but he was very popular. He's actually quite funny. He was able to make people laugh. He put people at ease. He's a very freedom minded candidate. I expect we'll see him come out, you know, with strong sentiments towards free speech, probably against legislation like Bill C-11. You know, I think he has a I think he has a genuine chance here. I think it'll be close, but I think if anyone was to run here with a genuine chance, I think he has one. Following a surge of illegal crosses from Canada into the United States, the Biden administration asked the Trudeau government to reimpose visa requirements for Mexican nationals visiting Canada. In 2009, the Harper government created visa requirements for Mexicans. Then, in 2016, the Trudeau government dropped those requirements. The U.S. still requires a visa for Mexicans entering their country. American border officials say some Mexican nationals are using Canada's visa-free rules to fly into the country and then cross south illegally into America. In an interview with the CBC, U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas says the Biden administration has asked Canada to consider reinstating the visa requirements for Mexican nationals. Mayorkas said government officials spoke about the visa issue and, quote, many issues that impact the migration of people. I think that's a decision that the Canadian officials are going to make. A spokesperson for Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Minister, Sean Fraser, says the Trudeau government has no plans to reimpose the visa requirements. Andrew, I'm wondering, we're seeing a very specific request from the U.S. administration to Canada here, something that could be done fairly easily, though it would require more work from that department. But could this be sort of an easy win for the Trudeau government to earn some leverage with the U.S. government? Or do you think that's not something that the Trudeau liberals are really very concerned about? I think it would, but it would also fly in the face of this open border utopia that Justin Trudeau wants for Canada. I mean, remember, one of the issues we've been talking about at True North before anyone else was, has been the constant flood of immigrants into a Roxham, across Roxham Road illegally, illegal border crossers who then seek asylum in Canada. And it took years until just, you know, a month or so back for there to be any agreement between Canada and the U.S. on that. So this has not been an issue that Justin Trudeau has wanted to take up seriously, whereas the U.S. has taken border security seriously, where even a Democrat government, a Democrat president, is looking at the illegal flood of 
migrants across the border and realizing, okay, we've got to do something about it. These people are very shrewd. They find a loophole and that that loophole is they can go to Canada as tourists without a visa and then just sneak across the same way people are sneaking from the U.S. into Canada. So this is a very serious issue. And I think Trudeau will look very embarrassed if he's not taking it seriously. When we're looking at an issue like this, the one thing that immediately comes to my mind is what is still going on with the U.S. not allowing unvaccinated travelers into their country? It's been such a long time since this mandate has been in place, and we know unvaccinated travelers are pretty unhappy about it. A lot of people like to holiday in the U.S. It's a very short trip for you to get somewhere that's warm during the winter. There's lots to do there. You know, a lot of Canadians are able to simply drive their vehicle if they don't want to take a plane. Earlier in the year, you know, some people thought that those restrictions were being lifted. Everyone was pretty excited about that. And here we are months later, and there's still no end in sight for this vaccine requirement. We know that Pierre Polyev actually raised this with Joe Biden. Doesn't seem like it's an issue that Trudeau cares about. Surprise, surprise. Do you think there's any end in sight for unvaccinated travelers that are wondering, when am I going to be able to holiday in the States again? It's a hard one to answer because the U.S. has in some ways doubled down on this regime they've put in place. One example of this is uh, the CDC amended its fully vaccinated definition a week or so back to say that if you got a dose after August, you would only need one dose after August of last year because then they thought you might have gotten the new special supercharged Omicron bivalent vaccine, so that would be adequate. But it, it strikes me that the only reason they'd make that tweak is if they're planning on keeping these restrictions overall in for the long haul. And I, I think it's absurd. I mean, no one, even the most ardent pro-vaccine voices, would argue that if you had a vaccine in January 2021 and you had your second dose in January 2021, three weeks later, which was what people were doing who were in that first wave, no one would say that that vaccine is giving you any immunity more than two years later. But that is what you need to provide to get into the country. Country, technically. And, you know, people can get in oftentimes without having to provide it. I know of people who have done this, but it's absurd and it's pure theatrics. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith is poking fun at NDP leader Rachel Notley after Notley claimed the government was hiding details of its new Calgary arena plans that were already revealed in public documents. Last week, Smith announced an agreement in principle with the City of Calgary and Calgary Flames owners that would basically form a $1.22 billion deal to replace the Saddle Dome. Alberta NDP leader and former Premier Rachel Notley alleged there were hidden costs in the agreement that won't be released until after the provincial election, saying, quote, officials, unquote, have told her party as much. Uh, Smith tweeted, quote, details are important above a UCP campaign campaign video attacking Notley's comments. The new arena will be built on 14th Ave and 5th Street Southeast in Calgary's Victoria Park. This is just north of the existing Saddle Dome Arena. The city and province are paying for 70% of the $1.2 billion project. The city is ponying up $535.5 million, or 44%, with the province also paying $330 million with funds flowing to infrastructure, land costs, and the demolition of the Saddle Dome. Uh, meanwhile, the Flames are putting up $356 million, much of that coming annually over the next 35 years. Uh, Smith said the government investments were made with an eye to, quote, being respectful to provincial taxpayers, unquote. Rachel Notley has not yet committed to moving the project forward 
if she's elected premier on May 29th. Uh, Rachel, this is not one that I think a lot of people will get too up in arms about. Some will, the really, I think, hard, fast uh, taxpayer hawks. But I think a lot of sports fans in Alberta will say, yeah, we needed a new arena. And even if it's expensive, we're going to go along with it. What's your read? You're exactly right. Voters in Calgary are going to be very pleased about this deal. And it's the type of thing that most people actually pay attention to. Often in politics, we forget that most people aren't really paying attention to the latest scandal of Danielle Smith sending a legal notice to CBC News. People are not watching issues like that. But this is something that the average voter really cares about. It's a lot of money, but I don't think voters in Calgary are going to be upset about that. And I think that Smith has been working on this deal with Calgary Flames owners, with the city of Calgary for a very long time and timed it perfectly to announce it just before the election. And it looks like NDP leader Rachel Notley was caught totally flat-footed. She did not have an adequate response to the premier here. She sort of made up some claims about them not releasing details. Some of those details were actually already included in the proposal that had been released to the public. So she had a very inadequate response to this proposal. And I feel like she couldn't find an attack that stuck to hit the premier with. And now this is going to be something that's going to come up repeatedly throughout the election. An election, which I might remind you, Smith needs to appeal to moderates in Calgary to win. So this is a very good announcement for the Smith government, something that they've been working on for a very long time. And I don't think Notley knows really how to respond to this issue yet. That's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media over at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.